Okay, good morning. I thought for a minute I'd forgotten my notes. I had this moment of crisis where I was like, oh, I don't know, I'll do a song or something. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to do a song. Uh, like Em said, uh, I'm Santino. I didn't introduce myself earlier, how very rude of me. Um, I'm one of the leaders here of the Church Kings, so it's great to be speaking, preaching this morning. Um, I hopefully am not going to keep you too long. Um, Trust me. Okay. Guests, family, friends, it's good to be together. I'm going to be sharing, we're picking up our Jesus series. It's, 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 going to, it's going to fit wonderfully with baptism. So hold in one hand, well you can't, but hold in your mind, uh, baptism and what I'm going to be sharing as well this morning. You join us as we're going through a series um, through the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' main dudes one of his main followers. John was Jesus' friend. He referred to himself as the one Jesus loved. Yeah, he outran Peter once and said, the one Jesus loved ran faster than you. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but he, he was such a bold follower. But he referred to himself as this one that Jesus loved. And I want to tell you boldly this morning, you're the one Jesus loves. Just speaking to my friend Matt before I came up here and just during the baptisms and he said, isn't it amazing that we're all so unique in God's eyes? So wherever you're at this morning, you are so unique. As Paul brilliantly preached last Sunday, you have been made for a purpose. You are so unique in God's eyes. So we're looking at John's account, really coming to the conclusion, Jesus is either one or the other. He's either completely amazing, incomparable, or he's absolutely irrelevant. All right? There's no in-between. There is no in-between. He's not just a good guy. He was a good guy. He is a good guy. But that's not what it's about. He's one or the other. Over the next two times that I speak, um, I'm doing a kind of mini-series, if you like. Mini, mini, mini-series. We're looking at death, and resurrection. Today, I'm in John 19, and we're looking at Jesus' crucifixion, the death. Next time, in a few weeks' time, we're going to be looking at John 20, Jesus' resurrection. The Christian faith, our faith, your faith, my faith, is based on both. Crucified and risen. Death and resurrection. You can't have one without the other. And we've just had, baptism is a wonderful display, as Paul brilliantly, uh, briefly explained. It's about a funeral and then a birthday. The funeral takes place, death to old, alive to new. It's a wonderful demonstration. So whether you're from Zimbabwe or Hastings, Jesus is relevant for you. There's a quote by a guy called Paul Beasley Murray. I wish I had a name like that. I have, yes, this is a Greek version. <laughs> Santino Constantine Hamberis, there you go. Yay, yes. Thank you, Dad. The fact is, <laughs> the fact is that we follow, this is his quote, the fact is that we follow both a crucified and risen Lord. It's so wonderfully amazing. Today we're going to look at Jesus' death. Okay, I might touch on resurrection at the end. We've got to get there. But today is all about his death. And I want to, through this sermon, I'm going to have two major headings. 
Why did he die? Sorry, how did he die and why did he die? That's it. How did he die and why? Can I ask you to turn to John 19 if you have a Bible? Now, Joe, thank you for bearing with me. Joe does our PowerPoints and flicks things up on the screen behind. Now, I had a long text to read to you this morning, but for the purpose of time and just to keep to the point, I'm not going to read all 30 verses. So I'm going to skip around. So it's not going to come up on the screen behind me, but I hopefully, please just... Faith comes by hearing. So please, just be attentive and see how God speaks to you. I'm going to read from John 19, and we're looking at the crucifixion account. Before we do this, let me just give you a bit of, when you find in 19, a bit of background so far, because... We're suddenly arriving at this crucifixion. Bit of background. We've gone through John's Gospel. Chapter 1, the, the Bible says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is referring to God himself put on skin and come and lived with us, come and dwelt with us. Chapter 1. So Jesus was born as a baby, as a human, and lived among us. He lived among ordinary people just like you and me. Have a look at each other. We're quite ordinary, right? Right? Some of you are amazing, but we're quite ordinary. He lived among ordinary people like us. He, he, he ate with sinners and tax collectors like us. He healed people. He was at a wedding and he turned water to wine. Wouldn't you love to have been there? Just free bar. Water to wine. He healed the unlovable, those that people would just would not touch, people with leprosy, Jesus touched them. Jesus lived among the unlovable. He was misunderstood, rejected and hated by the religious folk. He was betrayed by one of his best pals. He was betrayed in such a way that he was handed over to be killed. Imagine that. One of your friends betrays you in such a way. He was arrested, he's put on trial and now he's sentenced to death. That's where we are, chapter 19. Then Pilate, verse 1, took Jesus. He was a Roman governor, if you like. He took Jesus and had him flogged. That means severely beaten, whipped, tortured. Had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and he went out again saying, they went in and out again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! What sarcasm, what mockery. And then they struck him in the face, they punched him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, look, I'm bringing him out to you. I find no basis to charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, uh, purple robe sorry, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Then I'm going to go down a few more verses. Verse 14, it was the day of preparation of Passover week. This is a Jewish festival, Jewish celebration. And it was about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Finally, Pilate handed him over to the Jews to be crucified the crucifixion account. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, the Roman soldiers, and Jesus carried his own cross. They, they went out to a place 
called the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. Here they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. While Jesus is on the cross, later knowing all that now was completed and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and they put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant and they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Heavenly Father, I just, I just pray you'd speak to us this morning through this crucifixion account of why it's of such importance to us. And I pray, Jesus, you'd come amongst us by your spirit and you'd change lives. Amen. Amen. I'll refer to the Bible at different points. So, first heading, first thing we're going to look at is how did Jesus die? Some of you might say, well, that's not rocket science, Sam, you've just told us. Death by crucifixion. Verse 6, as soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Verse 14 and 15, it was the day of preparation. It was about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, just take this guy away. Get him out of our sight. Crucify him. Jesus was killed upon a wooden cross. This is known as crucifixion. Today in society, crucifixion is portrayed in a variety of ways. As I was preparing for this, I think, so often we see pictures of Jesus or um, icons of this kind of malnutritioned, Caucasian, peaceful-looking guy hanging on a cross. That wouldn't have been what it was like. The Bible says that he was unrecognisable by the time the Romans had finished with him. The Bible doesn't really go into too much detail on crucifixion, but what we do know is that it was considered one of the most barbaric and inhumane ways to die, ways to suffer, utterly despicable. It was thought so inhumane that the Romans finally just abolished it altogether around 300 AD, a long time ago. But the Romans considered it so inhumane. It was awful, horrible, shocking, shameful, The person was nailed to a cross, nailed through wrists and feet, left to suffocate, naked. Very often just naked, at eye level. It wasn't up on a cross as we see it. It was in public display, so it was like doing it at Morrison's, Tesco's, outside Safeways, just there for all to see. We get the word excruciating from crucifixion. It was the most excruciating way to die. Jesus died in a most horrific way. Not nice at all. There was dying, and then there was dying on a cross. In Philippians 2, this guy Paul writes, he, talking to Jesus, humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now there was dying, and there was dying on a cross. Jesus not only died for us, but he died on a cross for us. 2,000 years on, the cross is still in our thinking. 
Many people wear it as jewellery. Earrings, necklaces, bracelets. It's so strange. Would we consider wearing other forms of execution? Gas chamber, an electric chair, earrings, set of gallows as a necklace. That's a nice set of gallows you got, Sam. Yeah, got it from H. Samuel. We just wouldn't. Yet the cross is still very pinnacle, pivotal of the Christian faith. The cross where Jesus died is right at the heart. A, a quote by a guy called John Knox. To remember Jesus is to remember, first of all, his cross. That's where it starts. The Apostle Paul echoed this by saying, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. This was to a church. Do you know while I was with you, church? This is the main thing I wanted to remember while I was with you. Jesus and him killed. In Galatians, may I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. The question needs to be answered. How can we, as Christians, celebrate, celebrate this horrific thing of crucifixion, the crucifixion of Jesus, and call it good news? Why do we do that? Why is it such good news? The gospel, the good news of Jesus that he was hung on a cross and died for us. You might be here thinking, do you know what? It means nothing for me. This was just a middle-aged Jew 2,000 years ago that had a few radical issues and got himself killed for them. But it has nothing to do with me. You might have never even heard of it. You might not have even considered it. I didn't. I was like Vince, actually, thinking there, there is a God, there is a greater being. But when I encountered this risen Jesus Christ, I thought, why had I never heard of this until now? You might be the same. To answer this, we've got to look in a bit more detail. That was the first heading, if you like, how did Jesus die? Roman execution, nailed to a wooden cross to bleed, suffer and die. That's how. To answer why, we've got to move on. Why did Jesus die? Heading two. Read from John 19 again. This is why Jesus was on the cross Later, knowing all that was now completed, what does that mean? And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a stalk, lifted it up to his mouth and said, drink. Lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is death. Spirit and body separating. Death. It's amazing to think that not only did Jesus predict his own death, in the Gospels it says, the reason why I've come, I'm paraphrasing, is to suffer many things, to be handed over to the religious guys, and to be killed, but on the third day rise again. He predicted all of this. Not only that, but looking here, he also seems to be in control of when he would die. When he would die. He says, it's finished. People would hang there for hours, days. Jesus said, no, it's done. It's done. I'd come to do something, and I'll come to that in a bit. It's done. And with that, he said, I'm done. And he gave up his spirit. He gave it up. Jesus' death on the cross had, and it has, worldwide consequences. Worldwide ramifications. 
A death which would change the whole course of history. The course of history for you, Jay, for you, Vince, for you guys, for Louise. Isn't it amazing? Just different stories. This is where I was at and this is what Jesus has done. Change the course of someone's history. But why? Although it happened 2,000 years ago, it's so important for us today. The lists under the Y section are endless. We could be here till Christmas. Just us bullet pointing, and then this, and then this, and then this. There's one primary reason, two. Jesus came and died for a problem, a huge problem, and to give an amazing solution. So that's what I'm going to quickly whistle through. Not whistle, speak. This is the problem. It says in the Bible, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. That's not the baddies and the goodies. That's all have sinned. There's a problem and that problem is a thing called sin. Sin is at the root cause of humanity's issues and it affects all of us. And what sin does is it puts a barrier, a huge barrier between us and the creator of the universe. But what we tend to do is we look at sins as behaviours and attitudes. Now, don't get me wrong, they absolutely are that. But sin runs far deeper than behaviours and attitudes. That's just the surface. Sin is a heart issue. Behaviours and attitudes are just a result of what's actually going in in the command centre, in our hearts. The behaviour, road rage, we can all relate to that, right? Even in the Renault Scenic, I can relate to that. Road rage, attitude. What's actually going on, it's a heart thing. It's a heart, it's the symptoms of what's going on here. From the heart comes how we act, think, behave, feel. Something dripping there. That comes from the heart. Jesus taught that sin is a heart condition. He said these words earlier on in John's Gospel. Do you know what comes out of a man's heart is what makes him unclean from within, from within. From within a man's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. You might be sitting here thinking, yeah, no, no, they're pretty big things, but listen, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly, all these evil come from within which make a man unclean. We're not, we don't carry them externally. I'm not a man that you can see. There's sand, the man of folly. There's sand, the envious one. But you don't know what's going on in my heart. That's the root cause. Jesus pushes this a little bit further. In Matthew's Gospel, you know the Ten Commandments? You ever heard of them? A list of rules that God spoke to Moses and said, give this to the people. Jesus pushes that even further. He said, I'm going to paraphrase, right? He says, you know, you might have heard that it's not good to murder someone, which it's not. But I say, if you hate someone, it's as if you've murdered them. So if you've hated someone in your heart, it's effectively saying, I've murdered them. And then he goes, and if you lust, if you look in lust, it's effectively like committing adultery. So both of those things cancels probably the majority of us out. Proverbs 27.19, I love this. Picture it. As water reflects the face, so imagine yourself next to the side of a lake, looking in. As that water is reflecting your face, 
So the heart reflects the man. So your heart is what reflects you. And Jeremiah, a prophet, said, the heart is deceitful above all things. Sorry to say that, folks. But the heart is deceitful above all things. It is beyond cure. Who can understand it? And one guy, much more recent than Jeremiah, said, if I wrote down every thought I've ever thought, I want you to hear this, if I wrote down every thought I've ever thought and every deed I've ever done, men would call me a monster of depravity. Can you imagine if we can now flash up your thoughts and your deeds, everything you've ever done? I would be before you as a monster. I'm telling you. What's in the heart? So this problem, sin, has a penalty. It says, for all have sinned, and because of this, there's a wage day coming. For the wages of sin, this heart condition, is death. Not just physical, but eternal separation from God. We need to get a right view of God. God is these things I'm about to describe. Okay? He is good. Yeah? He is good. He is loving. He is kind. He is faithful. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's a father. And he's a father like no other. Break into song. But he is a father like no other. He's loving like you'd never believe. He is all those things in a perfect way. But he is also holy and just. That's his nature. And because of this, he will not and cannot just turn a blind eye on sin, on the heart. Not like me as a father. It might surprise many of you, but I'm not a perfect father. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm so into, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. No, probably not that. The kids aren't awake at that time. But I can be doing something where I'm like, I can't be bothered to discipline right now. I'm busy. Just lying here. (laughs) Scratching my belly. (laughs) And expect them to do it. I love my kids dearly, but I'm, I'm not a perfect father. I, I want the best for them, and we do discipline our children, we want to help them, and that's, that's God the Father. It was always there because he knew our hearts had turned from him. He knew our hearts were sick. And in his love and mercy, he never turns away. Something in all of us cries out for justice, doesn't it? You only need to see the news and see what's happening in the world. And something in you says, stop. If there's a God, why don't you intervene? We see children kidnapped, the elderly battered, whatever it might be, evil dictators ruining the face of the earth, killing innocent people. And something in us says, that is wrong, it has to stop. And we're absolutely right. God feels the same. Do you know why we feel that? It's because, like Paul said, we've been made in someone's image. We've been made in the image of the one that says, yes, it's got to stop. And I'm going to make a way. Wrongs should be punished and so should ours. God has always taken it very seriously. In the Old Testament, before we get into the wonderful solution, it's bonkers when you look at it. It still makes me feel, well, this is a bit weird. Animals were killed. Animals were killed, sacrificed. And very careful laws and rituals were laid down by God to deal with this thing called sin, this heart issue of man. It wasn't the external, it was to deal with the heart. But it could never quite do it. 
Animals were killed, different animals. I was looking to study on this. Doves and pigeons and lambs and, yeah, lambs. Bulls. I don't know why not cats. Yeah, I hear a few hissing out there. Down with the cats. Very careful rules were laid out. This is what happened. Sorry. I'm going to get loads of people saying, listen, what do you feel about cats? Come on. Hey, what do they do to you? Annoy me. This is what the person would have to do. The person that had done wrong, picture this, hundreds of years ago, would have to take hold of an animal that was considered as near to perfect as possible, lay their hands on it, confess their sin to it. In, in doing so, it was seen that their sin, road rage, would pass into this bull or animal. And then the animal was killed, its blood was shed, sprinkled on the altar. And this atoned for sin. This sacrifice was known as atonement for sin. There's loads of sacrificial rituals. This is just one I found. And sins were atoned for by the killing of an animal and the shedding of its blood. What does that mean, atoned? Reconciliation was, was accepted. It, was, it meant that harmony was brought back from that person and God. This, this peace, this bridge was restored. It was atoned for. It was paid, dealt with. The only thing is, animal sacrifices could not take away sin, could not remove it. Because animals are killed day after day after day after day after day. Just blood. Enough to deal with the external and the result of sin, that action, but it could not address the internal, the heart. Jesus is the solution. This is where we're going to linger for a few minutes. Jesus is the one sacrificed for us. As it was lambs, the lamb of the Passover... We get to the New Testament here. So Old Testament animals were the sacrifice for man. Poor, innocent animals. New Testament, John's Gospel, this guy called John the Baptist, who was baptising people before Jesus, he was considered the one that prepared the way for Christ. The one that prepared the way. The one, the trumpet that went before. And he was, repent- was baptising for the repentance of sins. Okay, But then... In John chapter 1, it says this, that the next day, John, the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, everyone. No longer is it animals. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin is this barrier, this huge blockage between us and God. And no matter how we try to bridge it, Climb it, push it down, remove it. It's impossible. You might be experiencing that yourself. No amount of good work, good effort, good religion will ever help you to do that. There's nothing we can do to earn our way back to God. Nothing to remove it. Only God can do that. God loves us too much to leave us in the sin. Jay, he loved you too much. He's had you on a journey through grief, the pain that you and your family must be going through, He's had you on a journey. He's brought you here because he loves you. He absolutely loves you. And he absolutely loves us. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while I was still addicted to cocaine, (laughs) while Vince was still road raging, 
Christ, sorry to pick on you guys, Christ died for us. I want to share a quick story with you called the Now Shoe story. It happened with me last night. It's called Now Shoe because my son at the end went, Now Shoe, um, Now Shoe, I'm done with you. I went in and just asked, I was preparing for this, getting all the, I've spent hours. And I said to Tom, I just thought, let's get a child's perspective, it's always helpful, because it's to the point. I said, Tom, Tomo, why did Jesus die? And he was making a clone battleship. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and I, just, I said, Tomo, why did Jesus die? And he just looked up at me, and it was brilliant. He just looked at me and went, to wash away our sin. Now shoe. <laughs> and I literally went and... Oh, point. John 19. At the cross, right before he died, Jesus said, it is finished. These words have a continued meaning. Not it's finished for now. Not it's finished for a while. Not it's finished for some. Not it's finished for the religious folk. Not it's finished for the goodies. It is finished. Forever. Forever. The words are continuous. It's done. It's dealt with. It's over. Mission completed. Jesus died to wash away our sin. Thank you, Tom. He died to wash it away, to to break the barrier down. Does that mean we'll never sin? No. It means he died to deal with the power, the hold, to give us a new heart. That means we just don't want to. New start. It's finished. At the cross, an amazing exchange took place. The greatest exchange known to man. Check this out. I just want to read you something, an account from a guy called Isaiah, who was a prophet hundreds of years before Christ. Look at this great exchange. Jesus and us. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him, Jesus, stricken by God, smitten and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. What prophecy? Jesus' side was pierced to make sure he was dead. He was pierced for our junk. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We're all like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways, yet the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And in Corinthians, this guy called Paul said, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. What an exchange. What an incredible exchange. Jesus became sin for us. All of the world's junk, all of our junk was funneled down onto this precious saviour, the one who came on a rescue mission. And Jesus got whacked for us. Let's make it personal. He became our sin. Ever thought of that? He became your sin, my sin, Everything you've ever done, said, thought, imagined, he became. Everything that's ever been done to you, he became. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us. Do you know why? So that we might become like him. (laughs) So that we would become like him. 
He put it on like a jacket. He put it on like a garment. In doing so, he took the full force of this perfect heavenly father's justice all onto his precious son, Jesus. All of his anger towards sin and rebellion was just funneled down onto Christ on the cross. That we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? That we can now stand blameless and acceptable. You know, I heard a story just last night how God broke into someone's life while they were in jail. Came and washed them clean. Jesus appeared into the cell with this guy and changed his life. That's what it means. That Jesus makes us blameless. We don't do it ourselves. We stand blameless and acceptable. I, Santino, can stand acceptable before a holy God and call him Father. All because of his precious son, Jesus. What a swap. Our junk for Jesus. That probably would have been a good title. Our junk for Jesus. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond? God loves you. God loves you so much. Whether you know him here today or not, he absolutely adores you. He loves you with a never-ending, never-stopping, always-forgiving love. And he knows exactly where you're at. As he knew exactly where I was at ten years ago. He loves you. He loves you. And he's made a way. Paul mentioned last week that the ultimate display of God's love is by pinning his son to a wooden cross for us. So all of his justice and love could be demonstrated. There's no one too far away. I want to say that as crystal clear as I possibly can. Think of the person you think can be the furthest away and I'm going to tell you they can't be. There's no one too far, there is no one too bad and there's no one too good either. This is for everyone and anyone. It's for everyone. This is... God's love is unconditional, but it doesn't happen automatically. I've got to be careful how I say this. You're not just born into it, okay? It just doesn't happen. It's not just credited like that. You've got to do something. But there's only one thing required. Turn to Jesus. That's it. It's all been done. It's all done for you. You've just got to come and get it. You've just got to repent, the Bible talks of. That doesn't mean, sorry, sorry. It just means, I've been going that way. I've been blind. I'm coming this way. I've just seen something amazing. It just means turn. Turn from your old and accept something new. Accept Jesus dying for you. But I want to tell you, he rose from the dead. That's where we're going to go in a couple of weeks. There's a whole new sermon in there. He rose from the dead. In chapter 20, when they came to the tomb three days later, guess what? It was empty. And it was guarded the whole time. The tomb was empty. This whole Christian faith hangs on Jesus risen from the dead. That's what changes lives. He died for our sin and he rose for our salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Can I ask you to stand? Alid, would you be alright just to come up and strum? Or Janet? Can I have part of the band back, please, if that's alright?
We're just going to sing a song to sort of wrap everything together as our worship to Jesus, this absolutely incomparable one. I just, I just love, can you just close your eyes, just where, where you're standing, if I can ask you just to close your eyes. I'm going to pray and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that you, you, you came for us. I thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus to come on a rescue mission, to come and save rebels like me, to come and change my heart. Thank you that we don't belong to a religion, we belong to a relationship with a God who made us, who knows us, who loves us. I thank you that you give us a new heart with new desires, new passions. And I just pray Father, would you again strike us with love? Would we see what you've done for us? What love that you would die on a cross for us? I pray for each soul here that you'd touch lives, Lord. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to just keep your eyes closed. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than repeat a few statements after me and then come and find me afterwards. If something's going on, if you just feel, yes, I, I want to give my life to this Jesus. I don't know much more than that, but I want to give my life to him. We'll help you after that, but I just want you to say these statements in your heart, right where you're at this morning. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. Jesus, I admit that I have gone horribly wrong. Jesus, I believe that you died for all my wrongs. Jesus, I believe that you rose again from the dead. Jesus, I choose today, right now, to turn from my old life and to turn to you. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. If you've said that this morning, I want you to come and find me, Paul, someone down the front afterwards, because we'd love to pray with you, let you know a little bit more. But for now, we're just going to sing a song to respond, and then we'll guide you from there.